0: Should Governor Cuomo even be investigated by the Attorney General of New York based on the vague allegations against him by six women? Well, you'll hear why I don't think an investigation by the Attorney General of Andrew Cuomo is even proper on The Der Show. What are we to make of the accusations now being leveled against uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo of uh, New York there are two types of accusations one that he fudged numbers about nursing home deaths resulting from a COVID uh, he seems to have survived uh, that uh, obviously it was something that voters certainly can take into account in deciding whether to vote for him uh, again if he were to run but the second one seems to be uh, gaining traction Namely, six women have now accused him of varying acts and statements that they say some of them constitute sexual harassment, others claim inappropriate uh, touching. He has denied any inappropriate touching, some claim a kind of toxic work environment, and uh, none claim uh, anything comparable to some of the more serious claims that have been made against uh, other public figures. These sound a lot more like the claim that was made against Al Franken, uh, which foolishly in my mind led him to resign from the Senate. I think it was a serious mistake, and interestingly enough, it was caused largely by a senator from New York. Uh, who has uh, now not been very active in in the campaign against uh, Governor Cuomo? We'll wait. Maybe maybe she will become active, but um, it's complicated because the the allegations are not that he um, inappropriately had sex with anybody or inappropriately asked anybody to have sex. The allegations are that he was kind of seductive and and flirty. Uh, The most recent one, I'll just read you what she says. Um, She said, the governor approached me, he hugged me and kissed me on the cheek, put his hand around my waist, and we took a picture together. Uh, That incident was a celebration of four years of on-time budgets. And this is to what she says. And this is so typical of how... We are applying standards uh, today to conduct that had different expectations when they occurred. This is what she says. At the time, I thought that was wonderful, and everyone was talking about it. Oh, the governor likes you and thinks you're cute. I realize now that I wish that the environment were a little bit different for young women, young attractive women in Albany. Uh, She says it wasn't sexual harassment, it just suggests an atmosphere. Uh, And and the question is, does that really warrant investigation? There are some people calling for impeachment. Uh, New York uh, criteria for impeachment don't exist. It's very much different from the federal system under the federal constitution. You can't be impeached unless you are convicted of four, one of four specified offenses in the constitution. Treason, almost impossible to convict somebody of that. Uh, bribery, uh, also not so easy to prove, uh, although if the facts are there you can prove it, Uh, or other, other means related to, like, similar to treason bribery, or other high crimes and, not or, and misdemeanors. The New York Constitution doesn't provide any criteria, it just provides a process. The process is very similar to the process that was provided for in the United States Constitution. You need a majority vote by the Assembly, which is the Branch comparable to the House of Representatives. And then you need, I think it's a two thirds vote by the Senate in a trial presided over by uh, members of the appellate court in in New York. So, very, very simple a process, but no criteria. And so, opponents of Cuomo are calling for his impeachment, as, of course, opponents of Elliot Spitzer called for his impeachment, which led to his uh, resignation. Uh, in his case, it was, again, very, very different. It was consensual conduct with a prostitute that uh, uh, could have constituted a federal crime, although he was never prosecuted for one since he traveled across state lines. There was no dispute about the facts. There was a dispute about whether or not those facts warranted impeachment or a removal, and the governor made the decision. Uh I do know Elliot Spitzer. He was my research assistant, and he was the kind of quietest and most uh, well-behaved research assistant I ever had. I was shocked when the story uh, came out, but it came out. It wasn't denied, and he's moved on. He now is a very successful um, entrepreneur. Uh, The situation with Cuomo is is very different. He's been elected and re-elected. He may or may not run for yet another term, if he does run, Every voter is entitled to take into account the allegations regarding nursing homes. Every voter is entitled to take into account whether the environment he created in Albany is one they want to support. But I'm very concerned when impeachment or criminal justice is weaponized for political purposes. And now the investigation is the hand of the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James, uh, who uh, ran for office successfully— on the promise, basically, of getting Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the president at the time. That was her campaign. That's how she won the election. She was relatively unknown uh, outside of the city of New York, and yet she campaigned, I'm going to get Trump. I'm going to get Trump. I'm going to investigate him. I'm going to put him out of business. Maybe I'll get him out of the presidency. Maybe I can do what... The impeachment process can't do. And so she clearly weaponized her role for partisan political uh, purposes, and it continues. Uh, She's still trying to get uh, Trump and his businesses and his enterprises, and there are ongoing investigations, both by her and by uh, Cyrus Vance, the district attorney of New York. And now she's appointed two well-regarded and distinguished lawyers to investigate, investigate Cuomo. For what? There's no allegation he's committed any crimes. None of these things are criminal in nature. Uh, You might quarrel about their appropriateness. But again, that's for people to vote about, not for people to investigate. So why are we having an investigation? I mean— Attorney General uh, uh, James really does put the focus on something I've been arguing for years and years and years and years. Uh, It's a disaster that we elect our prosecutors. Um, Prosecutors should never, ever be elected. It's outrageous that people run for office on the promise of putting people in jail. That happened in Philadelphia when the district attorney won for basically promising to put Bill Cosby in in jail— The the district attorney succeeded. The previous one had failed. It was a hung jury. And I'm not here arguing the appropriateness or inappropriateness of a conviction for Bill Cosby, but I am arguing the inappropriateness of somebody running for office on the campaign to put somebody in jail, to investigate, prosecute, and convict somebody. That's just not what voters should vote for. And uh, the idea that we elect Attorneys general elect district attorneys uh, because they promised to put uh, Cosby, Trump um, uh, in jail. And now we have that same person investigating Cuomo, who she may run against or she may try to succeed. She has political ambitions. She wants to be the governor. The attorney generalship is a route to the governorship or to the Senate or to other Political uh, positions. If you look at the United States Senate and House of Representatives today and you identify everybody who went to law school, who now serves in the House or the Senate, and the majority of both the House and the Senate are lawyers, virtually all of them were prosecutors who became senators and congressmen because they ran and successfully ran on the promise of lock them up, put them in jail. Um ironically, as I've mentioned once before, the first major public figure ever to run for uh, president and win, who was a defense attorney, at least for a short period of time, was Joe Biden. He was a public defender. Ironically, so was, um, uh, so was Andrew Cuomo's father, uh, the great, great governor of New York, Mario Cuomo. He started his career as a public defender, too, but— I think those are the only two political figures in my memory who ever achieved high office, governor in one case, president in another case, who had been defense attorneys rather than prosecutors. Letitia James herself had been a defense attorney for a short period of time uh, before running for politics and then becoming um, the attorney general. And so one hopes that maybe... She still has some memories of being a defense attorney and understands the presumption of innocence, the requirement of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and most important of all, the requirement that a person commit a crime or be suspected of a crime or there be evidence of a crime before you open up an investigation. So I I don't quite understand what the investigation of Cuomo by the attorney general is all about um, because even if everything That all the six accusers say is true, it doesn't rise to the level of criminal conduct. It may rise to the level of conduct that would warrant a reasonable person to cast a vote against them, to decide, hey, I voted for Cuomo last time. I didn't know about these things. I know about these things now. I'm going to consider those factors in deciding whether to vote for him again. Perfectly fair. That's democracy. Democracy belongs in the vote for governor. Democracy doesn't belong. It doesn't belong in the decision whether to investigate or prosecute anybody. That's the legacy of Jacksonian democracy. When Jackson was elected president, he introduced democracy. The word democracy was a dirty word during the Constitutional Convention. Democracy, that means the mob. That means the French Revolution. That means what's going on. In, in France as the Constitution was being drafted and, and, and ratified. Democracy, no, no, we're a republic. We don't want a democracy. We want the president to be selected by intellectuals called electors. We want the senators to be selected by state legislatures. We want prosecutors to be appointed, appointed by governors uh, based on their distinguished record as lawyers and uh, public officials. Yeah, but we don't want the public voting for prosecutors. My God, what could be more democratic and more dangerous than that? I've told you before the almost humorous situation in Florida, where in Florida you vote not only for who the prosecutor is, but you vote for who the public defender is. Would you ever vote for a good public defender who's going to bring about the acquittal Of people who are dangerous. Imagine public defender candidate A saying, I'm such a great lawyer, I'm going to result in a lot of people going free who might otherwise be convicted. And the second candidate says, I'm not a particularly good lawyer. If you elect me, all these guys are going to be convicted and go to jail and you'll be safe. We shouldn't be voting. For prosecutors or defense attorneys, I can't imagine running for defense attorney. Uh, I'm a defense attorney because a client calls me and wants me to be their lawyer. I'm not answerable to the public. I'm not answerable to my viewers and my listeners when I'm a defense attorney. I'm answerable to one person in the world. My client, obviously subject to the rules of law, the rules of ethics, and uh, the rules of ethics preclude me, for example, from putting a witness on the stand who I know is lying, although lots of lawyers uh, break that rule. It's not a rule I've ever broken and ever will break. So let's see what goes on in the Cuomo investigation. I don't know what these investigators are are looking for. There will be other women coming forward. That's what happens uh, all the time uh, in situations like this, particularly when you have loosey-goosey definitions of what constitutes sexual uh, harassment um, and what constitutes inappropriate behavior, it's often in the eye of the beholder. Um, I can imagine people saying, oh, my God, the governor hugged me and kissed me on the cheek. that That's a great thing, as this woman said when it first happened. And easily imagine another woman saying, no, I don't, I don't want to be touched. I don't want to be uh, kissed. Uh, and she has a right to say that and do that and pull away. And the governor has no right to hold that against her so what we're going to see is a political investigation not a legal investigation a political investigation that may produce evidence that will change some votes but the idea that the attorney general of the state the chief law enforcement officer of the state has jurisdiction over investigating these kinds of at worst sins and in the minds of some they're not even sins uh, you know, we all have friends. We all know people who are too huggy and kissy and, and touchy. Um, uh, I don't touch people. I don't hug people. I barely shake hands with people. Uh, but there are those who, who, who do. And um, uh, they're not criminals. Um, they become somebody that you worthy of criticism. If they do it and somebody says, no, I don't want it, and they persist, That's not proper behavior. Technically, it might even be an assault. Nobody ever prosecutes anybody for hugging somebody or kissing somebody Um, in that manner, in a friendly manner. I'm not talking about a romantic kiss. In one case, one of the women in the Cuomo situation claims many years ago that he kissed her on the lips. He categorically denies that okay let investigators see if they can figure that one out how are we going to go back in time there's no video uh she says lips he says cheek tomato tomato i i just don't think it's going to be a um, uh, something that investigators can get to the bottom of. When I say tomato, tomato, I don't mean to trivialize or minimize a kiss on the lips. If somebody have a kiss beyond the lips, I'd be outraged and furious. Um, but I don't think I'd report it to the police. I think it might affect my willingness to interact with that person uh, in in the future. Um, by the way, there are people who who, who try to do that Bill Kunzler. remember the great lawyer Bill Kunzler he used to do that one day when I was uh, at Harvard uh, I introduced a panel and, uh, of lawyers um, very controversial panel ranging from Roy Cohen to Bill Kunzler to a few other very very prominent lawyers um, Jim St. Clair I think it was the lawyer for Richard uh, Nixon it was a great panel and Kunzler came late as he almost always uh, did. And um, he had announced at one point, so I introduced him, and I introduced him the following way. I said, Bill Kunzler has written that he only defends people that he loves. Well, I said, I defended Bill Kunstler, and I don't love him. I like him, but I don't love him, and I defended him. Whereupon, he came over to me in front of an audience of, what, five, 600 people, grabbed me around and kissed me smack on the lips like he was a lover. Uh, I... I you know, pushed back. Everybody in the audience laughed. It was funny. I didn't like it, but I didn't call 911. Uh, it happened. I got over it. I'm talking about it now, 30, 40 years uh, later. Uh, I can imagine it's very different when you're working for the governor and you believe the governor is putting the make on you. The governor is trying to, I hate this word, groom you, groom you, What does that mean? Uh, We're not talking about children here. We're talking about adults in the workplace. Uh, It's not right uh, if the boss um, makes a move on you or asks you if you have a boyfriend. It's not right, but it's not criminal. And again, we have to have criteria. We have to have priorities. We have to have calibration. You know, if everything they say about Cuomo is true, everything they say about Cuomo is true, it's a two on a scale of 10. If what they say about Joe Biden is true, it's a nine and a half on a scale of 10. I don't believe it. I don't think it's true. But what the woman claimed about Joe Biden is 10 times more serious than what anybody claimed about Cuomo. And so we have to have a single standard. We have to have a sharp line, actually two lines. One, innocence. The other, non-criminal sexual harassment. And then the most important line of all, criminal. And you don't cross that criminal line unless you break a specific, clear law that can't be applied retroactively, and you do it with an intention to commit that crime. You have to have the to be or not to be moment. To be a criminal, you have to stand on one side of the line and basically say, to be or not to be a criminal, today I'm deciding to cross the line into criminality. Unless you do that, you should not be charged with any kind of a felony or a serious crime. We have misdemeanors that do permit prosecution for negligent behavior. I'm not a fan of those. I'd rather see those handled civilly. But for a serious crime, there has to be a clear statute that was applicable at the time you did it. You have to have fair warning and you have to cross that line with knowledge and, <clears throat> and with intentionality. And there's no allegation here that Cuomo uh, did that. So I'm worried about the implications of an investigation conducted by the Attorney General of New York who has jurisdiction over criminal conduct. She doesn't have jurisdiction over the manners of a governor. She doesn't have jurisdiction over the appropriateness of what a governor does. She doesn't have jurisdiction over whether he engaged in conduct that would cause you to vote against him. Lines are important in a a country that operates under the rule of law. As Justice Frankfurter once said, the history of liberty is a history of process, of procedures, of clear rules. And that's what we need in the Cuomo Case. Uh, Let there be legislative investigations. That's fine. They can investigate the nursing homes, nothing criminal again. They can investigate whether or not he did the right thing or the wrong thing. They can investigate the climate in the executive mansion in Albany. All of those are appropriate for legislative investigations because legislatures have broad power to just make things better to improve situations, maybe they can pass a statute that would create a different line for sexual uh, harassment or maybe even change the criminal law. As long as they do it prospectively and it's constitutional, they have the power to do that. But to give the attorney general the state who has authority over criminal charges largely, she has other authority as well, but the authority to do an investigation of something that so clearly is not, criminal in nature and would never satisfy any constitutional criteria for criminality is, I think, uh, dangerous. So, look, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I'm a civil libertarian. I'm a constitutional lawyer. Uh, I don't care whether the victim is a Democrat, as he is in the Cuomo case, or a Republican, as he is and was in President Trump's case. I couldn't care less about that. I'm not partisan when it comes to the way I evaluate the Constitution, the way I evaluate the criminal justice system. So some of you out there who were happy that I was critical of the prosecution of Trump may say, oh my God, we're not so happy. He's now defending Cuomo, who's a Democrat. Well, too bad. Uh, That's what I do. And there are probably some of you out there who are Democrats who are saying, oh my God, we're so glad he is putting the Cuomo thing in perspective. It's not criminal. Boy, was he wrong when it came to to Trump. No, you can't do that. I'm either right in both situations or wrong in both situations. But you can't distinguish between people based on whether they're Democrats or Republicans, liberals or conservatives. You can when it comes to voting for them. I do. But you can't when it comes to deciding whether they should be investigated criminally, whether they should be prosecuted, whether their businesses should be looked into whether we approach the matter in the way Stalin and Lavrenti Beria, you've heard me say this before, Beria, the head of the KGB, notorious KGB, goes to Stalin and says, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. That's what Letitia James seems to have done when she ran for office. She saw the man, his name was Donald Trump. She is going to find the crime. She is going to search high and low to find the crime. Is that what's happening with Cuomo now? I don't know. Maybe they're not even looking for a crime. Maybe they're looking simply to issue a report about the environment in the Capitol in Albany. Not really their business. That's a legislative matter. Not appropriately a matter for a prosecutor who has the power to indict and, and, and prosecute. So... I'm curious what you think. I'm curious, those of you who were opposed to the criminalization, weaponization of the law against Trump, are you also opposed to the weaponization and criminalization of uh, activities that relate to uh, Governor Cuomo uh, and the opposite? Uh, Do you all pass the shoe on the other foot test? Are there different shoes here or different sized feet? Uh, I'm interested in hearing your views on all of these issues, so please Call in and give me your views on the Cuomo investigation on The dirt Show. Now to my favorite part of the show, the wits for The dirt Show, the callers. First call. Hi, Professor. This is Dave from
1: Utah, and I have a question regarding the process that colleges follow regarding accusations of sexual misconduct. Why don't colleges just defer to law enforcement to conduct a criminal investigation and then tie any discipline to the outcome from the criminal justice outcome to the what they find Um, i realized that they would probably have to implement a mutual no contact order between the parties and any witnesses just to keep the peace while things are being resolved but it just seems to me like they're duplicating a process that already exists and they're doing it very poorly thank you Uh, i look forward to hearing the answer
0: I think it's a very good point. Uh, I would agree as to conduct which is allegedly criminal, for example, rape. But what about conduct which is just in violation of university rules? For example, a professor having sex with one of his or her students. There's nothing criminal about that if the student is above the age of consent. But a university has the right to prohibit such conduct. So they need to have a disciplinary uh, board. There are some universities that did try to defer to law enforcement – And under the Obama administration uh, rules, they could lose their funding if they did that. So they didn't even have the right to do that in rape cases. They had to have a process, an independent process, and in that case a process which clearly violated all the fundamental rules of fairness and justice. So that's why I'm so opposed to what the Obama administration did to university campuses.
1: Uh, This is Thomas Gandy in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Alan, I was listening to you talk about the making the cake argument, and I think I agree with you on just about every part of it, um, with, at least in respect to civil liberties. But the argument that was being made was about art. A lot of people in the wedding cake industry consider their work uh, very personal. And it's, it's not that you walk in and just pick one out. You're asking it to be customized and made a certain way, which for an artist, uh, which is what some of these people were claiming mm-hmm. that they were uh, having to create, it violated their conscience, their personal beliefs. It would be like asking a musician to write a song about something that they fundamentally <laughs> disagreed with or an artist mm-hmm. to paint like a canvas mm-hmm. of, of something that, that, that is against their morality. It's different than serving someone food or walking in and buying something off a shelf. And that was the argument that was made by these people. And I I am sympathetic to it. And I'm just curious kind of how you you would respond to that, because I really am not certain. I love the show. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.
0: It's a great question. And here's the test. And I'm curious how you would come out on this test. Take it out of the context of gay marriage and put it in the context of miscegenation. Let's assume the same baker refused to use his artistic talents to bake a cake Celebrating a marriage between a white person and a black person. The law is very clear. You can't discriminate based on race. Um, the implications of your argument, and you didn't put it as an argument, you put it very legitimately as a concern, would be that um, that also would be the right of the baker not to bake a cake for a couple that consists of a black and a white person. Take it one step further. A person comes in and says, I'm Jewish. Uh, me and my wife, a perfectly heterosexual couple, we want to get married, and uh, the baker says, you kill Jesus. Um, I'm not baking a cake. I'm not using my artistic um, um, uh, talents for any Jew. Uh, you kill Jesus. Um, would that be appropriate, or would that violate the statute? All I demand is that whatever the rules are for racial discrimination, religious discrimination should be applied to sexual orientation. So I'd be satisfied if the law was no artist can be compelled to do anything that violates whatever their feelings are, whether they're based on rational, irrational, racist, religious, uh, bigotry. I'm, I'm satisfied with that. If you give the artist the complete authority, but you have to do it across the board. You can't make a distinction between an artist, a cake maker, refusing to bake a cake for a gay couple if he would have baked a cake for a heterosexual Christian couple uh, uh, that was uh, divorced or that was biracial or a Jewish couple or a couple that contained one Jew and one non-Jew. Or let's let's, uh, put it in another context, which is closer to my experience. Let's assume you have an Orthodox Jew who is a cake baker and a great art, artist, cake baker. I had one in my neighborhood, uh, Rebitson Schick, Mrs. Schick. She was the greatest baker in the world. She made cakes that you wouldn't believe. I know because I was a delivery boy for her when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And she was very, very religious. And I'm not putting this in her mouth, but I'm using it as a hypothetical. Let's assume a couple came in and, uh, and the man said, Hi, my name is uh, Bernie Schwartz, uh, and this is my future wife, Molly O'Brien. And we want you to bake a cake for us. And, 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 and Rebison Schick says to Molly O'Brien, Are you Jewish? And she says, no, I'm Irish. Uh, are you going to become Jewish? No, I'm going to continue to go to church. I'm a religious Catholic. I'm marrying this nice Jewish boy. Uh, please bake us a cake. And she says, no, no, I can't do it. Uh, my religion doesn't approve of religious intermarriages of that kind. It, if that would be protected then you can argue that the person who refused to make the cake for the gay couple would be protected or the person who refused to make the cake for the interracial couple. But there has to be a single standard. But the point you make is a a good one. First Amendment probably does protect an artist from using his or her talent in a way that's inconsistent. Um, I can imagine a person saying, I'm not baking cakes for Democrats. I'm not baking cakes for Republicans. You're a Trump supporter? No cake. Remember the uh, Seinfeld episode, the soup Nazi? No soup for you. No soup for you. No cake for you. You're a Democrat. No cake for you. Okay. Whatever the law is for that, the law has to be for the gay couple as well. That's my only point.
1: Professor Dershowitz, I was just listening on Rumble, and I was wondering, um, what? why do you think uh, President Biden uh, was uh, falsely accused by Tara Reid? I know. I don't know if that was ever looked into. I guess I missed the uh, any evidence saying that she, her claim was false. So I was just I was surprised to hear you say that. Thank you. Bye bye.
0: It's a good question. Um, there was a thorough article both in the New York Times and Politico, and they investigated her background extensively and found out that she had a history of falsehoods, a history of running out on rent, a history of other conduct that would at least raise questions about her credibility. But I agree with you. I don't think there was ever uh, an investigation of the specific charges. Look, liars can also be subject to sexual abuse. So you have to look at, at the evidence in the case. Of course, her credibility is one of the factors that you look into. But I think you make a point. I don't think the charge was ever disproved. I think her credibility was questioned. And I agree with you. I think a double standard applies. I think the same allegation, almost the identical allegation, was made against President Trump by a woman who claimed uh, an, an event that occurred in the changing room in, I forget, Bloomingdale's, or one of the department stores in New York. And that was looked into fairly thoroughly. Of course, no charges were ever brought. The point, I think, in general, is don't believe accusers. Don't believe the accused. Look at the evidence. And uh, among the evidence you look at is the credibility of the accuser, the credibility of the accused. So I think one has to look at the the totality of the evidence. And you make a point. Um, I don't think that um, the investigation of Reed was as thorough as, for example, some of the other uh, investigations that were done, Kavanaugh and other such cases. We have to have a single standard, a single standard of who we investigate, how we investigate them. Um, As you know, I've called for the creation of a Me Too court. Former judges, distinguished uh, people, and anybody who's accused, like I was accused, could bring the case in front of the Me Too court. I'd be the first person to bring the case because I've asked the FBI to investigate my case. I've asked the U.S. Attorney's Office, the district attorney, to investigate the case. So far, nobody has looked into it. Uh, and if they did, they would find out in my case. Emails indicating she never met me, never heard of me. Uh, tape recording by her own lawyer, a recording by her best friend. All indicating she never met me, never heard of me, and was pressured into falsely accusing me by her lawyers for, for money. Uh, so I welcome an investigation, and I would think any innocent person would welcome an investigation, and I think there should be a process for demanding an investigation. Anybody who doesn't demand an investigation, hey, we have a right to wonder why. So let's set up that process so we don't have what's I call guilt by accusation, that if you're accused, you're guilty. I wrote a book called Guilt by Accusation, The Challenge of Proving Innocence in the Age of Me Too. You can get it free, by the way, on Kindle. Just uh, guilt by accusation, press the button, free on Kindle. Read the book, let me know, call in, tell me what you think of the evidence that I present in that book that I never met the woman who accused me. That woman ought to be in prison. She perjured herself deliberately for money and we ought to go after aggressively women or men who make up stories for money, and swear under oath to things that are provably false.
2: Hi, John from Alberta. Love your show. I am just watching your latest uh, video, and one of the questions was about the police officer in Minneapolis, and will he get a fair trial? Uh, my question is: uh, the world is being ruled more and more by the mob, and. Have, through your experience, has it ever been this bad? And if so, when? Or am I completely wrong that the world, there's more mob justice, even if it is going through a, a legal system, if, the, if mob justice is getting more and more influential and more and more out of control? Thank you very much.
0: It's a great question, but historically, this is nothing compared to what went on in the South um, post-Civil War up through the 1940s where mobs determined uh, justice. White mobs determined that black people were guilty even if they, you know, winked at a woman or whistled at a woman. And, of course, the ultimate of mob rule is the lynching. And we've seen lynchings uh, in the South. There's a lynching museum now. And if you think things are bad now, go visit the lynching museum and see the horrible history in this country of, of mob rule, mob control of the justice system. People were terrified. When when the governor commuted the sentence of Leo Frank who had been convicted by a mob of a crime he didn't do, the governor had to leave the state. He had to move from Georgia to California because he was afraid he was going to be lynched for commuting the sentence of Leo Frank from death to life imprisonment. Frank was ultimately taken out of the jail cell and lynched himself. And we saw so many instances of this in our history. We saw mob rule during the McCarthy period. It wasn't like the lynchings. So the lynchings are the worst. Nothing ever compares to that. McCarthyism, but what's going on now, is very dangerous as well. Uh, We should not have justice by mob or justice by popular opinion or justice by vote. Justice should be done based on the facts in front of judges and jurors, uh, by prosecutors who are not looking for political advantage from getting a conviction. We have so many people now, people who are on death row, people life imprisonment, who were falsely convicted, who are finally being exonerated after 20, 30 years in prison. And the prosecutors knew they were innocent. The prosecutors withheld evidence. The prosecutors distorted evidence. One of the most famous cases, prosecutor holds up the underwear of the defendant and says, this underwear has the blood of the victim on it. Prosecutor knew there was paint on the underwear and not blood. <clears throat> and the person got the death penalty. Ultimately, the Supreme Court reversed the conviction, but the prosecutor wasn't even prosecuted, was promoted. That's what happens in America. That's why we have to fight for justice. And it doesn't matter who the victim is of the injustices, whether it's the president of the United States, the governor of the state of New York, or some obscure person with no political clout and no money and inability to afford a lawyer. That's why I do 50% of my cases pro bono, because I want to make sure that when we say justice for all, we mean it.
2: Hello, Alan, this is Joel Famic. I live in Cedarhurst, New York. I was watching your show tonight and using some words such as slavery, we had slavery, and how we tried to do this country, with all these things. But I want to start from the beginning, when we talk about all this, uh, this country was founded on the Bible. I don't want to get into religion, but the Bible, and we're coming into Passover right now. We're talking about slavery. This country was founded on the Bible, meaning everybody is responsible for himself. Slavery means, in the definition of one of the definitions, it says on the the Seder table we say uh, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. What does that mean? It means anybody who depends on the government for their life is a slave, period. The Bible's against any slavery, it's against top down, it's ground up. This is what this country was founded on, each responsibility. Okay, when it comes to anti-Semitism, that's a whole different topic, but if you understand science, all the sociology and these things, why is it that way? I would question, if you studied Jewish history, or world history for that matter, is that there was always racism, but Jews are not a race. Why is there anti-Jew? What is the point of that? That's a scientific discussion. I'm willing to discuss with you why And based on the Bible, which is, I just want to say for two people, there are two people we are really here for. Moses, who wrote it, and Ezra, who translated into, created the alphabet, and we are educating the whole world. If not for that, I don't know where we'd be today.
0: You make an interesting point. Uh, Certainly the founders of our republic uh, knew the Bible very well. Um, Madison was a scholar, um, actually spoke and read Hebrew. Uh, Jefferson had read uh, the Bible. But remember, one of the first things they did was to separate church from state. Uh, Madison and Jefferson drafted the first separation of church and state statute for Virginia, and then the First Amendment, which says Congress— uh, shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So the Constitution says you're free to believe in the Bible and you're free to believe what the Bible says. You're free to believe the Bible is the Word of God, written by, handed to Moses, written by Ezra, as you point out, but uh, you're free not to. Uh, you're free to regard the Bible as something written by people. Um, 3,000 years ago that has many, many, many wonderful good points in it and some not-so-good points in it, Uh, you're free to make that decision. Uh, That's what the Constitution accords you, and I disagree with you about slavery. There's a big difference between being an enslaved black person in the South subject to being whipped, subject to being separated from your family, and uh, believing in Social Security uh, or believing in the New Deal. The New Deal was government programs. And yes, uh, many people relied and depended on the government because they couldn't depend on themselves because of the economic situation. That's not slavery. That's something the people voted for and decided to uh, agree with and uh, decided to live under. And uh, yeah, I don't feel... Myself as a slave because I have to pay Social Security or I have to pay taxes or I have to comply with government regulations. I wouldn't feel myself a slave even if the government compelled me to be vaccinated. I wouldn't have to be compelled because I want to be vaccinated. I've been vaccinated. My son's waiting to be vaccinated. Uh, He's waiting online, waiting his turn. Uh, That's not slavery. And I think to compare a government program with enslavement is to diminish the suffering of slaves. Look, everything in the world is a matter of degree, but there is an enormous difference between involuntary enslavement, which is what we had in the South, and what we've had all throughout history. The Greeks, when they had the democracy in Athens, demos, democracy in Athens, half the population was slaves, so it was democracy for some but not for all but there's an enormous difference between being enslaved and, and, and being subject to government control and regulation based on democratic uh, principles. Look, great calls, uh, great seminar, ranging from you know the, the most difficult uh, questions of constitutional law to some questions that are less difficult. And what I want you to do is think hard. Whenever you watch or listen to my show... Watch it and listen to it with a critical mind. Never accept what I say or if I have guessed what my guests say uncritically. Always think hard about what we say. My goal is not to propagandize you. My goal is to stimulate you, to make you think and encourage you to call, encourage you to tell your friends to listen to The Dirt Show and call. So please, more calls, more subscriptions, more viewers, more listeners on The Dirt Show. An important part of the Dirt show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216-710-0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24-7 is 216-710-0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short, and I'll answer them all on The Dirt Show.